The illegal trade in pangolins is booming. Now, while the name might not sound familiar, pangolins are the most trafficked mammal in the world. Yeah, I know what you're thinking, but you heard that right. It's not rhinos, elephants, tigers. No, it's these things called pangolins, and they're the most trafficked mammal in the world. And chances are fair that most of us have never heard of this adorable, scaly creature. Imagine an armadillo-type creature, but with scales instead of armored plates. This is Rachel Bell, a freelance journalist who's been reporting on wildlife trafficking for seven years. And they have a long tail and an even longer tongue. And they crawl around on the ground. They sometimes hold their little front legs out in front of them like a T-Rex. And they just straight up smell like urine. Penguins are known to pee on themselves because the urine helps keep mites and other kinds of pests off of their skin and out of their scales. So you've got these creatures that smell like pee. They're the length of a German shepherd, got a long tail and a long snout, and their bodies are covered in a thousand scales. And I gotta be honest, I'm sure most of y'all are gonna Google pangolins so you can see what they look like, but to me, it's like they taught a two-foot-long pine cone how to walk. And they're nocturnal, so they spend their days sleeping in burrows they've made. And at night, they use their strong sense of smell to hunt for bugs and use their long, sticky tongues to eat them. These animals are so shy and so rare and, frankly, really good at hiding. They don't attack human beings, so it is quite easy to catch them. When they touch, they roll up like a ball and don't run away. This is Ambika Katarirai. He works for the National Trust for Nature Conservation in Nepal. He says that when a pangolin is touched or threatened, it curls into a ball in self-defense. Its armored ball can stop a lion from getting to him, but it makes it really easy for, say, a trafficker to pick it up. In Southeast Asia, pangolin meat is highly valued. A whole pangolin will sometimes be sold to high-end restaurants for as much as $1,000 a dish. Mm, no thanks. The scales are commonly used in medicines to help women with lactation and also for joint issues like arthritis and rheumatism. Pangolin scales are made of keratin, the same protein found in our fingernails and our hair. For thousands of years, Pangolin scales have been roasted or dried and ground into traditional Chinese medicines. There's no scientific evidence supporting that pangolin scales have medicinal value. In the like compendium of traditional Chinese medicine, there are at least 60 different medicines that include pangolin scales as an ingredient. And there are also actually a number of pharmaceutical companies that manufacture products with pangolin scales in them at a commercial level. And as traditional medicine has grown in popularity across the globe, so has the use of pangolin scales. They can be sold whole in medicine markets for as much as $250 a kilo, or ground up, mixed into herbal remedies, and sold in pharmacies as pills. The issue sort of started when the traditional medicine markets became more commercialized and the world became more globalized. The pangolins that were living in China eventually were hunted to extinction for these purposes. 
And so pangolins then were sourced from elsewhere in Southeast Asia. And as those became more scarce, and as China began investing more in Africa in particular, it opened up new trade routes for the trafficking of pangolins from Africa to China. Those trade routes were manned by a bunch of wildlife traffickers eager to cash in on the demand for pangolin scales. The major concern for them is that these species are going to be extinct soon. Uh, actually, we don't know how much species are left in the wild. In the last decade, one million pangolins have been killed. That's like one pangolin every five minutes. In 2016, an international treaty banned the commercial trade of pangolins in an attempt to protect these little guys. But the treaty hasn't slowed down the pace of pangolin hunting. Instead, traffickers are just finding new ways to get access to the animals. It's very easy to bribe people to get what you need. So even people with good jobs aren't making that much money. And wildlife traffickers, the guys higher up in the networks at least, have a lot of money. So if somebody is going to offer you what equates to a month's wages to look the other way, I mean, of course people are going to go for that. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the show where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, an inside look at the most trafficked mammal on the planet and why it's so hard to protect them. Never heard of a pangolin? Well, guess what? You're not alone. The animals briefly made headlines in 2020 when they were blamed, then exonerated for causing coronavirus. But beyond that, you're unlikely to see one in real life or in a zoo. They're good at hiding and it's extremely hard to keep them alive in captivity. There's eight pangolin species. They can be found across Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. When there are pangolins, we can say that the environment here is mm, quite good. And Bika says pangolins play a big role in the ecosystem of tropical forests and grasslands because they eat a ton of ants and termites. Pangolins protect the forest from termite destruction and infestation. You need an exterminator? Well, you might just want to hire a pangolin. For farmers, they are very useful. And farmers doesn't need to invest more on insecticide and pesticide when there are pangolins. You see, without these critters, in places like the Himalayan foothills of Nepal, farms would be overrun by pests and farmers would need to rely more on pesticides. Pangolins also help aerate the soil. When they dig burrows with their little T-Rex arms to find insects and in shelter, they're actually mixing the soil as one might do with a till or a plow. This makes it easier for vegetation to grow. But no one knows how many are still alive in the wild because of how much they're being poached. In 2019, Rachel Bell was working at National Geographic. She and her colleagues traveled to multiple countries in Africa and Asia to investigate the world of illegal pangolin trafficking. Most of the trafficking comes from poachers hunting pangolins illegally. But Rachel wanted to understand what other factors made pangolins the most trafficked mammal in the world. Most of the people I talked to who were involved with pangolin trapping were from indigenous communities in West Africa or Southeast Asia, 
who are already out in the forest hunting wild meat for their own uses and you know became aware that there's this other market for the scales which they would otherwise throw away. We spent some time in Cameroon with a community of Baca, an indigenous group who do have special dispensation from the government to hunt pangolins because they've traditionally done it um, in a very sustainable way only for their own purposes. Historically, the community would just get rid of the scales. But as the price of pangolin scales went up on the global market, well, it wasn't too long before this isolated community started to get some visitors. They're visited on a pretty regular basis by middlemen who come and say, hey, if you guys trap a pangolin to eat, set the scales aside and we'll come back and we'll pay you good money for them. So all of a sudden you have what had been basic subsistence hunting. Now people have figured out how to commercialize it and make more money from it. And look, I'm sure you can see how and why somebody might get involved with this. And on top of that, the Baca have struggled for decades with the government over access to land for hunting and farming. And it's taken a toll. I think a big part of it is that typically these communities are very poor, very marginalized, very rural, and they have no other source of income. They're essentially hunter-gatherer communities. If somebody wants to pay them money for something that they're otherwise going to throw away, it would be silly not to take advantage of that. And when it comes to survival, people are going to do what they need to do. Ambika saw this firsthand when he interviewed local poachers and came to understand the struggles that come with poverty in small villages. Life is very difficult in rural areas, and pangolins are in rural areas. So the poverty, that is one of the reasons. And another reason is the unemployment. The youngest people doesn't get job, and the lack of education. In these regions, there's not a lot of opportunity. So to make some money, people will turn to whatever, even if it means breaking the law. And conservation, well, that may not be a priority. Wildlife crime has never been treated as seriously as other types of crime, especially when you have a developing country that is still working hard to establish basic civic institutions and law enforcement and a justice system. So these poachers go around from community to community throughout the region, and they buy what they can from pangolin trappers and then hunt what they can on their own. And once they've collected thousands of scales, their next step is to get them out of the country. Typically what happens is it's a compilation of pangolin scales from a number of places around West Africa that all get brought together and smuggled out at once. Rachel learned that these pangolin trafficking rings are pretty slick. They're well-connected, stealthy, and transnational. More than 150 unique smuggling routes have been used by pangolin traffickers in over 67 countries. Nigeria has become one of the biggest export hubs for scales. Rachel describes these trafficking networks like a pyramid, with only one or two people at the top who are pulling all the strings. All right, so picture this. Let's say at the top there's a kingpin based in Vietnam, and they control a network with runners in Nigeria and Cameroon who can source and smuggle pangolin scales. 
This kingpin will also have connections in, say, Laos, who can help move these shipments from Africa to Asia. And once the scales are in Asia, the kingpin knows people who can get the scales from a midway point to local markets or to pharmaceutical companies. Along the way, there's a lot of corruption. Individuals smuggling pangolins over borders usually bribe government officials to let them through. Meat and scales are often transported by sea or air along with things like coffee or beans to hide the contraband. And only about 10% of these illegal shipments get discovered. These networks are continent-wide. They are not small mom-and-pop like entrepreneurs who have started their own little trading business. These are sophisticated, multi-level criminal organizations that have control of everything from the very bottom, you know, paying people to poach or collect the scales, all the way up to the top, bribing government officials to get export permits and smuggling 10 tons of pangolin scales out of a port. After the break, we meet an intelligence agent who's working to get rid of these trafficking networks, one crime ring at a time. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2019, a cargo ship labeled frozen beef was headed for Vietnam. When it reached the port in Singapore, customs officials stopped the ship for a routine search. Officials opened a shipping container, but they didn't find any beef. About 13 tons of scales from pangolins, which are endangered mammals. Those scales are estimated to be worth more than $35 million. Inside the shipping container, from floor to ceiling, were hundreds of blood-soaked bags filled with pangolin scales. The scales were seized by Singapore customs officials. About 36,000 pangolins were estimated to have been killed for a shipment this size. It was the biggest bust of its kind on record. When you see news of huge shipments of pangolin scales, to think about the number of animals that represents is just, it really is difficult to comprehend because we're talking about thousands and thousands of animals. This is Sarah Stoner, the then Director of Intelligence at the Wildlife Justice Commission in the Netherlands. She's been working in wildlife crime for 14 years. Sarah helps dismantle criminal networks engaged in wildlife trafficking. So how does she do that? Well, it starts with a system called the risk matrix. 
So we work according to a risk matrix. We call it the level one to five. On the bottom of the risk matrix, the level ones and twos are the poachers and the people who process the pangolins. The collectors in the forest who are often very desperate, poor individuals who are just, uh, you know, trying to make a bit of money and they're not in it for any kind of extravagant lifestyle or anything like that. When it comes to finding traffickers and disrupting the supply chain, Sarah says the level threes and fours, the middlemen, they're the important ones to catch. That's because they have the most influence within the network. A broker is a middleman who works for the big boss at the top of the criminal wildlife network. Brokers are often really important individuals. They're very active in the network. They're speaking to lots of people. They're quite exposed. So it's the broker ultimately that covers a lot of that risk. And the brokers, they often know the big boss, the level five. And Sarah says, these are the hardest to track down. The seller is a very removed individual, keeps their identity secret. But it's really difficult to identify those guys. And there's not many of those individuals around either. The work is hard and it has its limitations. When you think about transnational crime or organized crime, you also work in that field with a very clear recognition that you're probably never going to get the level five or that it's incredibly difficult to get the level five or that you will never really totally eradicate crime either. What Sarah and her team can do is break up the chain. She compares it to a game of Jenga, removing the most vital parts of the structure to make it collapse. And so what you want to try and do is create this fragmentation of the network, which will prevent them sort of reorganizing themselves as quickly as well, and ultimately being able to continue to commit crime in the long term. So how does Sarah go about disrupting these illegal pangolin rings? Well, how do you disrupt any illegal ring? You got to plan a sting operation. So we have a team of undercovers that will... Um, engage with traffickers or brokers, and we will pretend to be a buyer. So we'll be interested in understanding what that broker or trafficker has to sell. It can take years for Sarah and her team to capture people in these networks and gather evidence that'll lead to arrest. But they've had successes. In the last seven years, they've made 191 arrests and broken up over 40 networks. Typically, when scales are confiscated, they're weighed. The size of the contraband determines the severity of the crime and the penalty. The scales are then stored as evidence indefinitely. Sometimes the seized scales are taken to labs for DNA testing to determine where they came from. This can lead them to other traffickers within the network. And when caught, the punishment for trafficking pangolins depends on where you live. There are some countries in Africa that you will go to prison for a very long time. And she's serious. In Zimbabwe? If you're caught with one live pangolin and it's just your first offense, the minimum sentence is nine years in prison. Nine years for one pangolin. No, bro, I'm leaving the pangolins alone. And this nine years, that's, that's just the poacher. The guy all the way at the bottom of the supply chain. In Vietnam, traffickers could be sentenced to up to 15 years in prison or find upwards to $600,000. But, of course, people have found loopholes in the regulation. In 2020, 
China removed pangolins from its pharmacopoeia for traditional medicine. But Chinese pharmacies can still technically sell products containing pangolins if they use what's referred to as stockpiles. Stockpiles are said to be pangolin scales collected before the 2016 ban went into effect. But China hasn't confirmed the size of the stockpile, and it's unlikely that there'd still be enough to go around considering the demand. It would have run out a long time ago. So, if there are laws in place to make it illegal to poach and trade pangolins commercially, why is it still so hard to stop? That's after the break. I gotta be honest, this all sounds kind of bleak for the pangolins. But lately, there's more awareness about these little critters being in danger. One of the things that does give me hope is that more people now know about pangolins than they did when I first started reporting on them, you know, seven years ago. In countries where pangolin products are popular, there's been efforts to reduce consumer demand. In 2020, Vietnam published a guidebook with alternatives to treating ailments pangolin scales were once used for. The next year, a Vietnamese campaign called Stop the Karma went viral, urging consumers to stop using pangolin products. So for those of you driving, listening to this episode, and you can't pull up the video on your own, let me describe it to you. There are four people sitting at a table during a dinner party. Everybody seems to be enjoying themselves until one man reaches into his bowl and he sees a pangolin fetus. Yes. And what ensues after that is creepy music. The guy goes to the bathroom and he's being haunted by a dark creature with a long snout. The music is heavy and suspenseful. Then the whole thing is creepy. And I never thought about eating a pangolin in the first place, but I dang sure ain't gonna eat a pangolin now. And it's not just the governments that are trying to help with videos like this. While on the reporting trip, Rachel visited a pangolin rescue and rehab center in Zimbabwe called the Tiki Highwood Foundation. The organization works with pangolins who have been recovered by law enforcement from traffickers. It's kind of like a pangolin sanctuary. What this organization does is they have a big piece of land and the pangolins are basically, once they're strong enough, allowed to roam the property with their own human babysitter, learning in a safe space how to be a pangolin again and how to regain their strength. Rachel saw these rehab sessions firsthand. She met Tamuda, a rescued Timonic ground pangolin who was being shown where to eat ants. I got to know several pangolins, like spend extended time with them, and realized that just like other animals, they have distinct personalities. And that really brought home the consequences for me that this, this is not just a conservation story, it's not just about saving a species but it's about animal welfare in general because this trade is made up of millions of individuals that are slaughtered. And each one of those individuals has a personality. And that made it just feel so much more real and urgent to me. Also, I think that's part of my like Western mindset approach toward animals. Like it looks vulnerable, like, you know, like a dog or a cat and I wanna protect it. In the last decade, the Tiki Highwood Foundation has rescued more than 180 pangolins. 
but trying to keep rescued pangolins alive in captivity is not easy. Rachel learned that this rehab center is one of the few in the world that successfully keeps pangolins alive. Pangolin trafficking is an organized crime that, in part, is using traditional culture to bypass laws. Middlemen are taking advantage of people who have access to pangolins legally. They use the bushmeat supply chains in Africa and the traditional Chinese medicine market as a legal cover for their black market dealings. That is always one of the sensitive issues when you're talking about the wildlife trade is the cultural component. You have to be sensitive to that because this has existed for thousands of years. But really, it's the people at the bottom of the supply chain, the communities of hunters that are going to be cheated the worst in all of this. As part of their traditional hunting and farming lands have been turned into protected areas of conservation, the Baca have said that they feel excluded and marginalized. They've claimed their camps have been burned and their way of life criminalized. But the ability to continue to hunt pangolins elsewhere has allowed them a way to not only remain connected to tradition, but to survival. And then, in come these traffickers, who make all these promises about money. The Baca wind up sharing what they have access to, the pangolins, in exchange for a little money. But in the process, they wind up contributing to the bigger problem. Pangolins are being overhunted, and the numbers are dwindling. Soon, there won't be enough or any to go around. The main thing to keep in mind here is that with pangolin trafficking, wildlife trafficking, any other type of trafficking of drugs or humans or guns, it's a network with people low on the totem pole and people high on the totem pole. And the people low on the totem pole tend to be marginalized, impoverished, and just trying to get by. You can't blame them. I mean, you know, I think most of us would do anything for our families. So these communities wind up two or three times cheated, all in the name of trying to do things in a way that's rightfully theirs. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. If you ask anybody out on the lake, hey, what's this caviar worth? They'd tell you it's not worth anything because it's wild caught caviar. It'd be like asking somebody who had a deer, how much is that wild venison worth? Whatever you're willing to pay for it, I guess. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Casey Georgie. The producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta and Output Media. Special thanks to the... Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.